Welcome to HealthCom Central, where we unpack theories and frameworks that can help you create more effective communication to improve both health outcomes and health equity. I'm your host, Karen Hilliard, behavioral scientist and longtime communication practitioner. If you're looking for fresh approaches that get real results, you are in the right place. So let's get started. Hello, HealthCom nerds and HealthCom novices. Hope you're all doing well and that you'll let me know how you're liking the show so far and what topics you would like to see covered. I would love to get to some of the things that are most important in the work that you do. Today's episode wasn't actually the one I'd planned to do this week, but sometimes current events remind me of things that we really need to cover, and that is what happened this week. The current event that I'm talking about is the baby formula shortage. And if that issue is not relevant to you, or in case you're listening to this podcast at some point in the future, let me say that the baby formula issue is just a springboard today to talk about something that every public health practitioner needs to know, the critical importance of developing a crisis communication plan in advance. And today we're going to talk about step one, getting started with a crisis audit where you anticipate the crisis in advance and then make an action plan. So as a little bit of background, crisis and emergency risk communication is really what got me into public health in the first place. Prior to beginning my career in academia, I had worked as a news producer. I specialized in public health and safety crises, floods, hurricanes, shootings, the Oklahoma City bombing. And then I'd moved on to corporate communications and marketing, where I found myself helping companies that were struggling with scandals, struggling with the financial downturn, and then eventually, for many of my clients on Wall Street, coping with 9-11. When I went back to school for my doctorate, I had the fabulous good fortune to take that experience and work on a multi-year project with my dissertation advisor, Vicki Frymouth, who many of you will recognize as an amazing scholar and risk communication expert, who had also served as CDC's first ever director of communication. Our project, which happened now 16 years ago or so, was to build capacity among public health communicators to prepare for public health emergencies like pandemics. And it gave me an opportunity to learn and become a certified trainer in CDC's evidence-based course on crisis and emergency risk communication. It's also known as CERC. I know some of you have probably taken the CERC course. I'm a trainer in CERC and love talking about it. So in future episodes, we're definitely going to cover some key lessons from CERC that should really be part of your toolkit. But today I wanted to talk about what is actually step one for any organization that really precedes CERC, and that is a crisis audit. Because you cannot plan for a crisis unless you've anticipated it first. Crisis audits were something that I was doing for clients way back when I was a PR executive in New York City. And it's a critical, critical step to take, which brings me back now to baby formula. It is very clear to me that no one on the public health side of things, maybe no one really anywhere, had conducted a crisis audit about baby formula and that neither health communicators nor nutrition researchers anticipated a crisis in which baby formula was going to be unavailable. How do I know? Because their messages to the public have not 
reflected that kind of preparation. Now, if you haven't been following the story, I'm going to give you a two-minute in a nutshell summary of the baby formula crisis that has been going on now for several months. And it's really an unfortunate convergence of supply chain issues and a recall of a major brand combined with a very long time reliance on only a few American companies to produce baby formula and restrictions on imported baby formula. All of that was a perfect storm that led to this severe shortage, which we're still experiencing in the U.S. The shortage has meant that shelves are empty in some stores. Parents have been going from store to store in a panic, sometimes ordering baby formula online from questionable sources, and they were also winging it by making it on their own. Now, if you haven't been up close and personal with babies, you may not know that up until six months of age, pediatricians recommend that babies don't have anything other than either breast milk or commercial infant formula. And for health reasons, breast milk is the recommended choice, but there can be many reasons why babies depend on formula for all or part of their nutrition. Certainly babies who are adopted or in foster care, babies whose mothers work long hours at a job that is not friendly to breastfeeding, and that's a lot of jobs out there. There may be health reasons for babies or mothers. There may be personal choice. I'm a strong proponent of breastfeeding and of making it more accessible, but the fact remains that a large number of babies in the U.S., in fact, 75% of them by the time they're six months old, use formula. And once a mother has decided not to breastfeed, her body stops producing breast milk, so it's extremely difficult to go back. You don't make that switch easily or quickly. So if your baby drinks formula and there is no formula available, guess what? Your baby has no source of food. And there's really not much that people react to more viscerally than something that endangers their child. You can't substitute cow's milk or goat's milk or soy milk without health risks. And this is the situation that many parents have been faced with over the past few months. Hungry baby, empty store shelves. And as with many health issues, it's a much bigger problem for people who are living in poverty who already breastfeed in lower numbers, often due to economic factors. They can't afford to stock up a pantry full of formula, and they don't have the hours quite often or the transportation to go from store to store to find out what's available. So what were the public health messages in response to this? Well, there was a lot of what not to do. Don't water down formula. Don't make it at home. Don't buy it from online sources. And not a whole lot of viable solutions other than trying a different brand. Okay. As if somebody who literally can't find food for their baby would be like, oh, but that's not my brand. No, people were already looking at other brands. And then the last step was to talk to your doctor. And there are some ways that pediatricians can sometimes help people get these secret supplies of formula. But all I'm saying here is that the solutions weren't very good ones. There was a lot of what not to do, not a whole lot that people could do easily. Now, I'm not at all recommending that something like homemade formula would be okay, but let's just stop for a moment and consider this. For generations of human history, babies have sometimes needed alternatives to breast milk. And as recently as a generation or two ago, people in the U.S. were making their own baby formula at home. And people, in fact, have been passing those recipes all around the internet during the shortage. Public health guidelines say those homemade formulas are not safe, and I'm absolutely not disputing that. My question is, 
why don't we have a viable homemade formula to recommend for emergencies? Maybe not the optimal thing, maybe not as good as what can be manufactured by someone, but shouldn't we have been doing research to figure this out? Shouldn't we have more definitive and actionable messages already prepared for this kind of situation? Shouldn't we have looked at the supply chain and anticipated some of these issues and said, hey, we can't leave something this important in the hands of only a few companies? And of course, all the answers to all of those questions are yes, we should have. We should have done all of those things because not anticipating what could go wrong if people literally depend on something to keep their babies alive, it's not okay. Not okay not to think about that. All of this could have been solved with a crisis audit. So how do you begin a crisis audit? You begin by imagining what could go wrong. You ask yourself, what's the worst that could happen? I mean, really, what is it? What is the worst? And then you keep asking, what else? And what else? So in this case, what's the worst that could happen? What if one day there was no baby formula? What would we recommend instead? What could cause there not to be baby formula? What could cause people to lose confidence in using baby formula? What else? What else? These kinds of questions are ones that high-performance and high-reliability organizations ask themselves all the time. They ask the questions, they imagine the scenarios, and then they make a plan. A communication plan, yes, but a larger crisis plan as well. They're going to have messages and contingencies developed in advance. And then they also work toward developing a culture that will allow them, if necessary, to deviate from the plan in an emergency. We cannot, of course, cover all that today, but we can talk about the crisis audit part of things, how to get the ball rolling. So for the audit, there are six basic steps. So you can kind of remember how this goes. Just remember that the first half of things is really all about brainstorming, and the second half is all about evaluation. So what's step one? Step one in the crisis audit is to get clear by revisiting your mission and your objectives. Look at why you do what you do. And, you know, so for example, in the baby formula crisis, if you work on the issue of infant nutrition, your answers might be very simple. They might be as simple as we do this to keep babies alive, to keep babies fed, to keep babies healthy, to keep babies thriving, something like that. So we don't have to get really complicated here, but I want you to orient yourself around your mission and your objectives before you start thinking about, okay, what could prevent us from accomplishing this mission? And that is step two. Step two is imagining or brainstorming what could go wrong. What could go wrong that interferes with your mission? What's the worst thing that could possibly happen? What else? What else? I want you to get really creative here. What could go wrong that could prevent us from keeping babies fed and healthy and alive? I mean, don't let a failure of imagination make you complacent. You need to be able to think about all the possibilities. And we're going to come back to some ways that you can do this in just a couple minutes. Step three in this process is to then, after you've thought of many different scenarios about what could go wrong, I want you to brainstorm risk mitigation for each scenario. Okay, so if this happens, how would you respond? Is there anything that you could do now or could start doing now that would prevent it? 
look at this for each of your scenarios. And again, you're still in brainstorm mode here. This is not coming up with a plan. This is coming up with lots and lots of ideas, as many ideas as you can think of. And some of the risk mitigation, just like some of the scenarios that you thought of, maybe kind of out there, maybe like, well, yeah, you know, if we had unlimited resources, here's what we would do. I want you to write that down. I want you to think of all the ways that you would want to respond, that you could respond, all the things that you would want to do, if possible, to prevent it from happening. That takes care of step three. That's the brainstorming half of things. And now we're going to move on to evaluation. Step four, evaluate your readiness. Think about what resources you have right now. You need to identify the gaps that you have and what you need to fill in order to be able to respond or to prevent the scenarios that you've imagined, right? So you want to think about what information do you lack? What research needs to be done? What resources or partnerships do you need? What materials or messages would you create? What communication channels would you need to establish? Now is step five. You want to step back to evaluate the scenarios that you initially brainstormed. Of those, I want you to think about which is the most likely and which, even if very unlikely, would be the most catastrophic. And a good way to do this is simply to rank the list that you came up with, which is hopefully a pretty long list of all the possible things that could go wrong, but to rank those lists in terms of likelihood and also rank them in terms of severity. And the highest likelihood and the most severe possibilities are going to be your two priorities for the plan that will follow your audit. Now, step six, the last step in crisis audit. You want to begin to develop crisis plans simultaneously for both of your priority scenarios. You want to go back and do a more detailed, deeper dive to look at those gaps that you identified before. For example, you might want to now go back and really audit the content of the materials or the quality of existing partnerships. You've already said, oh, wow, you know, we've got these partnerships here, but this is what we lack. Now I want you to really go back and take a hard look at how good are these partnerships that we have? And what kinds of steps do we need to take to create the partnerships that we think could either help us respond or help us mitigate this risk? And then, of course, as in all good planning, you need to create objectives, strategies, and tactics for the plan. So let's just review that very quickly. Six steps. Number one, first, revisit your mission and objectives. Number two, imagine or brainstorm what could go wrong that could interfere with your mission. Number three, brainstorm risk mitigation for each of the what could go wrong scenarios, how you'd respond, how you would prevent it. And then step four, evaluate your readiness, the resources that you have now, the gaps that you need to fill. Number five, evaluate the scenarios that you initially brainstormed. Think about what's most likely, what's most catastrophic, and identify those as your two priorities for the plan that's going to follow your audit. Finally, step six, begin to develop crisis plans for both of those priority scenarios. Now, some of the plan that you create may be communication focused. For example, you might need to develop social media messages and get them cleared in advance for some likely scenario. Other times, the needs may be totally unrelated to communication. For example, you might need biomedical research data. 
Maybe you need somebody to figure out if there's a way to make baby formula at home. If it doesn't currently exist, that research that you need, then your plan needs to include a way to start the ball rolling on that research. Perhaps your plan includes a policy or system outside of public health that may need to be changed in some way. In that case, perhaps your job as a communicator becomes communicating that need to the people who can take action, to the decision makers. Even though the entire organization needs to be part of this audit, it is definitely something that communicators can initiate. I want you to be empowered to ask these questions, to think of these scenarios, and start talking about what you need to do now to prepare. I want to address some questions right now that come up whenever I help organizations with this type of audit. First, people will say, oh, we can't really think of anything. Sometimes it is hard to imagine these scenarios. So for that problem, I want to recommend two strategies. The first one is to try systems mapping. That is something I am going to talk about in many future episodes because I am a systems thinking facilitator and trainer. Just got my certification. Yay. Um, But I've been teaching this for a few years now, and I'm a big believer in systems mapping. Drawing a map that will help you uncover all the players, all the relationships, all the barriers, figuring out what are all the steps in the chain. You know, for example, in what we've been talking about, how does the formula get made? How does it get transported? How do parents make decisions about it? That sort of thing. So that's one way to start your brainstorming. A second way is through mind mapping, which is uh, something I also teach people. It's kind of like brainstorming for one, but it can help you get started. It's really a free association exercise in trying to think of ideas to get as many ideas as possible on paper in a very short amount of time. So another technique that we'll talk about in a future episode. But this brainstorming is essential. So if your team isn't able to think of anything, find some people who are find the most creative people. They might even be outside of public health. Talk to them. Talk to your friends and family. Find the most creative people you know and ask them what they can imagine in terms of a really, really crazy scenario, really catastrophic scenario, and maybe what might be most likely. I can guarantee that you will find some ideas out there. Another thing that people sometimes say is, oh, you know, the scenarios that we've come up with, we came up with a lot, but they seem really crazy and unlikely. I I don't know if we need to come up with a plan for this. That's okay. You want crazy and unlikely scenarios as part of your list. You want the worst and most catastrophic thing that could happen as one of your priorities. Why is that? Because if you have planned for the worst, you'll be ready for anything. And the chances are that thinking through that scenario, that worst case scenario, and what the gaps are that you would have to fill to mitigate the risk in that scenario, if you can figure that out, it will also help you fill the gaps in all of the much more likely scenarios that you could encounter. Finally, one last question that people say is, why is the burden on communicators to do this? Why do we have to do it? Why do we have to get this started? Think of it this way. The burden is going to be on you if a crisis happens. You're going to be the one who is going to have to answer for it, who's going to have to create those messages. So if you can get your organization out ahead of that now, if you can get researchers and partners and communities to start addressing some of these critical failure points and barriers now, 
the likelihood will be much less for the crisis ever to happen. And if it does, you'll have already thought through many of the relevant details. And you can be simultaneously developing your communication plan for the crisis while some of these other things, these foundational things, are addressed by other players in your organization or on your team. Once you've got a sense of where your vulnerabilities are, once you've done this kind of crisis audit, that is really when you can start creating a true crisis plan and a true crisis communication plan. We're going to unpack some pieces of that process here on HealthCom Central in the not too distant future. So look for that. I'm going to be circling back to talk about the proven CERC formula for crisis messages. To me, it is absolutely one of the core pieces that must be in anybody's communication toolkit. Really, it works whether you're in HealthCom or some other field of communication. It's a fantastic formula. We will talk about that very soon. But for now, I want your takeaway from today's episode to be that you should make a crisis audit one of your next priorities. And to help get you started, I have posted a worksheet that you can download for free. So go to healthcomcentral.com forward slash crisis audit, check it out, download it and use it. Get started now so that you're not in a situation of answering for a crisis that a lot of people are asking questions and you're like, yeah, we should have done that. Yep, we should have done that. Well, why didn't you? Why didn't you do this crisis audit? Don't let complacency or a failure of imagination hold you back from being prepared. That, folks, is all for today. Thank you so much for checking out the podcast. I would also love to ask you to go right now and please subscribe if you haven't already. And to help other people find HealthCom Central, please do leave a rating and review. You can tune in for another episode next week. And until then, be well, stay safe, and stay science-based. Talk to you soon. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment now to leave a rating and review. Be sure to subscribe to HealthCom Central on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have friends and colleagues who should be part of our community, please share the link.